We are in our second sermon through Encounters with Jesus, and we're going to see a really exciting one today. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51 is where we're going to be at this morning. Now, as you are turning there, have you ever had an experience similar to the one that I've had where I have had some really exciting news, and then you go and you share that news with a close friend or a family member, and their response is just kind of like, eh, okay, (laughs) that's kind of cool, whatever. Their reaction is not as animated or as excited as you are, and then that kind of leaves you feeling a little deflated, like, what gives? Like, this is incredible news, and you're not responding to it the way I thought you would. When I was about, I'd say, 13 years old, I was going up stairs to my room to go to bed for the night before school. And when I walk into my room, I see this huge tarantula, like the size of my hand now above my headboard. And I, I lose it. I, I run downstairs, and I go and tell my dad, I said, Dad, there's a huge spider. You've got to come up, and you've got to kill it. And he goes, no. He goes, you're a man. You go kill it. It's like, no, Dad, not this spider. I can't do it. Please come. And I'm like pulling, trying to get him up off the couch, and he's refusing to go. Then finally he gets up with a newspaper, and I say, that ain't going to get this spider. So we go upstairs, and we walk into my door, and he looks at the spider above my headboard, and he looks at me, and he goes, you're playing a joke on me. And I said, Dad, I promise you I'm not playing a joke. And he goes, yes, you are. And he starts pushing me towards the bed with the spider. My heels are like digging in. It's probably like off of a cartoon. To finally where we get to the bed, he throws me onto the bed. We both fall on it, and that spider runs down the wall. And we both jump up screaming at the alive spider. His faith became sight in that moment with that spider. So what do we do? We uh, go and get Mom's kitchen colander. Sorry, Mom. And we douse it with about a half a can of waspray until we feel like it's safe to reveal that it had probably drowned in the waspray more than anything. But news like that, exciting news that is unbelievable and you don't quite believe it, that's exactly where we're going to see Philip and Nathaniel at this morning. Philip is going to go tell Nathaniel what he believes is life-changing, life-altering news, and Nathaniel's response is, what good can come out of Nazareth? It's completely ho-hum. So before we jump in, let's remind ourselves of what we learned last week in our first encounter with Jesus. The first thing that we saw with Jesus when he comes onto the scene is this incredible claim where John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we saw last week that this is incredible, that Jesus doesn't just pardon your sin. He doesn't just say, "Ah, oh, you're forgiven, I'll forgive you. No, he takes on your sin. Second Corinthians says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And here is John proclaiming of this Jesus, that he is the complete Savior, only he can save. The second thing we saw is that Jesus is the almighty Savior. He takes away the sins of the world. His death is sufficient for all who will believe. It's sufficient for the entire world, but only efficient for those who will believe. And then lastly, we saw that he's the unwearied Savior, that he takes away our sin. It wasn't just a one-time offer where I'll take away your sin this time, but you better get it right the rest of the time. No, he continues to take away our sin. He's the unwearied Savior. And so this morning, where we get is this proclamation where some disciples have heard it. And we're going to see Philip's response and a couple of other disciples' response, starting in verse 43, John chapter 1. It says this, the next day, 
Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this is a very quick story, but it's an incredible story that has so many deep themes that are taken all the way back to the Old Testament, that once we see those themes, what Jesus is saying and what Nathaniel is saying, it makes his story burst into life. And I can't wait to show it to you today. But let's notice first, before we get into Nathaniel's reaction, right before, right prior to this passage, there are various disciples that Jesus has encountered, and he encounters them differently, and they all respond differently. For example, when Jesus encounters Andrew, he see, Andrew sees that he's a lamb of God, But Andrew is questioned. Jesus asks him, what are you seeking? Cephas, who we know as Peter, has his name changed. We see that when Jesus changes Peter's name, he has his identity and value recognized in who he is. Philip, on the other hand, is sought out by Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask him what you're seeking or he doesn't change his names. Jesus just simply says, come and follow me. And Nathaniel, with Nathaniel, we see that he is seen by Jesus. He is known by Jesus before he is even called. And what these verses show is not only a variety of the followers, but also a variety of their personalities, and also the variety of the very personal nature of Jesus' call, care, and knowledge of each one of his followers. Jesus' calling and interaction is personal to each one of his people he encounters. And we will see this theme repeat itself over and over again in the Gospel of John. And let that, I just want to start off with that, to let that be an encouragement to you. You know, you might be coming into church for the first time in a long time, or you might come from a different church background, and you're wondering if you fit in with this church, or you fit in with any church. But what we see here is that we have different personalities by the disciples, and Jesus meets each of them where they're at. Jesus meets you where you are at. Whether you are in a season of sin or a season of following him or in a season of skepticism, like we're going to see maybe Nathaniel is at, Jesus' call to you is personally. He meets you right where you're at. And let this serve as a reminder that God knows us personally and is calling us personally. Last week, our, our big idea was that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But this week's big idea is in connection with that. Each one of us must personally respond to the claim that Jesus makes. 
Each one of us must have a personal confession that Jesus is Lord and that he does take away my sin and that I will follow him. This is on you. You must have this personal confession and repentance to follow Jesus. So, where do we see this Nathaniel this morning? First, we see this. Philip finds Nathaniel, and what he tells Nathaniel is fascinating. He says, we have found the one in whom Moses and the prophets have foretold. And this is important for a few reasons, and I want to show you why this is really important for us. It tells us this. The first thing it tells us is that there is a consistent theme and expectation from the Old Testament scriptures that we're highlighting the Messiah to come. And why this is important is that it means that we didn't make up Jesus and backfill him into the text. It means that we didn't see Jesus on the scene and we're like, we like a couple of the things that we do. We like this idea of forgiveness and love in Jesus. So let's make sure it connects through the Old Testament so we can unify it all together. No, there was already an expectation of prophets of old all the way back to Moses that there was a prophet that was coming that was greater than him and he would bring about a new exodus, the Messiah, the Christ. And so that means that people were waiting for him. This comes full circle with Jesus when he's going to really turn up the volume in John chapter 5 and he tells some Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And this is that they bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. When Jesus is resurrected, he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You see, what this does for us is it helps us to see that there was an Old Testament expectation of a Messiah that would come and would redeem. But what we get filled out for us is that this Messiah is greater than what we could expect. His redemption covers the entire world. His death is for all who will believe. So Nathaniel and Philip are having this conversation. Philip is likely referencing Deuteronomy 18.18 where the promise of the prophet is still yet to come or he could also be referencing what we think is up to 456 Old Testament passages that were often understood and interpreted messianically. In other words, what Philip is telling Nathaniel, we have found the guy that the scriptures have been telling us about the entire time. And he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip's response, I mean, Nathaniel's response is awesome. It's what good can come out of Nazareth. Now, the reason that Philip responds this way is because Nazareth would have been considered a backwoods, backtown, you know, very poor, very low economic status. And so his question is legitimate. Like, really, what good can come from Nazareth? But if we see what is happening with Jesus even being from Nazareth, this also connects to some Old Testament passages. And let me show you how it does. Does anybody know um, what uh, Baton Rouge stands for in the French, what it means. Red stick. You know, we, I learned that growing up whenever we would travel to Baton Rouge uh, visiting my grandmother, that Baton Rouge means red stick. 
Now, hold on to that. that we, we know Baton Rouge means Baton Rouge, but it also in the French means red stick. There are several Old Testament passages that refer to the Messiah as being a branch or a shoot or a root. For example, Isaiah 4, verse 2, it says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah 14 says, But you are cast out away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. Now for the sake of this illustration and how we connect it to Nazareth, let's read those again. But instead of saying branch, let's replace it with red stick, okay? In that day, the red stick of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. There shall come forth a red stick from the stump of Jesse and a red stick from his roots. Like a loathed red stick clothed with the slain, pierced by the sword. So if you're understanding these passages messianically, that it's speaking about a, the Messiah that's coming, it's as if Philip comes and says, we have found the one, Jesus from Baton Rouge. You see it, Baton Rouge means red stick, it connects back to the stick there. Nazareth literally means stick town. We have found the branch, or branch town, we have found the branch that's been prophesied, Jesus from branch town. It's all connected deep and interwoven. And this is why Philip, I mean, Nazareth, I mean, sorry, Nathaniel would balk. Nathaniel says, what, what good can come out of Nazareth? And here's what's awesome about Philip's response, is that Philip doesn't just start arguing with him. You know, we've had those family members or friends that uh, maybe they are just argumentative about the scriptures, or maybe they just don't come to church like we think they should. Maybe they haven't fully devoted their lives, and so we just keep hammering them and hammering them. Why don't you believe? Why won't you act right? Why won't you do this? But what's Philip's response? It's come and see. Just come and see. And even this has connections back to the Old Testament. Psalm 66, it says this. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. You know, if this is in Philip's brain, this passage as he says, come and see. See how this is even connected to Jesus being the greater Moses who leads his people through the great exodus. And it's all connected here in Psalm 66. Come and see what God has done. He's turned the sea into dry land. It's pointing to this greater Jesus. And this is my favorite part of the story because Nathaniel does come and see. He does come and meet Jesus. And when he's walking up, what does Jesus say to Nathaniel? He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now notice a few things here. There have been a lot of beholds in John so far. Behold the Lamb of God. In fact, throughout all of the Gospel of John, people are going to be called to behold or to look at Jesus. But here, Jesus reverses it and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, a true Israelite. 
But what is even more captivating in this is to see its connection way back deep into the Old Testament, an Old Testament story. So to get this, we gotta put our Old Testament hat on. Are you ready? Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It could be translated, behold a true Israelite or a trustworthy Israelite in whom there is no guile, deceit, trickery, or swindling. Now who do we know in the Old Testament that is known for their trickery and their swindling, who's taken something that's not theirs? It's Jacob. What Jesus could be saying here, behold, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is intentionally comparing Nathanael with his forefather, Jacob. Remember that it literally means to a heel grabber, because Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright. And then in Genesis 32, what happens to Jacob when he meets God? He changes his name to Israel. And Israel means one who strives with God. Now, catch what Jesus is doing with Nathanael. Here is a true one who is striving with God in whom there is no Jacob. You're truly striving with God. And what's Nathanael's response? Nathanael's put back a little bit. He says, wait, how do you know me? How do you know that I'm striving with God? How do you know that I'm wrestling with God? How do you know that I'm, I'm working things out right now? How do you know that I have been battling with this for some time? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And this creates an immediate turnaround by Nathaniel from going from skeptic to immediate believer. Now, we don't know why uh, maybe the significance is that it's a fig tree. We have some ideas that it was common custom for those that were studying the scriptures, uh, for scholars in rabbinic tradition to study scriptures under the fig tree or under the olive tree. So Jesus may have been saying, I saw you, Nathaniel, studying under the fig tree, and I know your questions. I know what you're wrestling with. I know what is on your heart, but whatever the specifics, it so impressed Nathaniel that, G, that Nathaniel immediately surrendered his skepticism to Jesus and proclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And then Jesus it gets even further. He says, because I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if you thought it was a stretch that uh, we, were, we would say a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob, this should confirm for us that we should have Jacob on the brain. Because what story in Genesis 28 happens to Jacob? He has a dream. And in his dream, he has a vision. Let's read out of Genesis 28. It says this. Jacob left Beersheba, and went down to, toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of uh, the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and to the top it reached to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will keep, bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, a few things that should stick out into our brain here. First is the amount of beholds, what God is doing. Behold. And then here in the Gospel of John, what do we have? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But more, we should see this, is that when Jacob awakes from his dream, he immediately proclaims, The Lord is in this place. What is Jesus saying by highlighting this story? God is in this place. God is here in Jesus. And this is what John says in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So first, with Jesus highlighting the story, we see that God is in this place, and the Lord is dwelling. The house of the Lord is here in Jesus. The third thing that we see is that Jesus is the latter, or in other words, he is how heaven and earth are reconciled. Jesus is the way that heaven and earth is reconciled. Think of how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things where? In heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What Jesus is saying by highlighting this story, is that God is here, and in me, heaven and earth will be reconciled. You know, when we read this story with Jesus and Nathaniel and angels ascending and descending, we might start to read the rest of the Gospel of John and say, all right, when am I going to see this? When is there going to be this miracle or something when heaven opens up and we see angels ascending and descending on Jesus? But it's not that there's going to be a literal vision by Nathaniel where he sees this, but rather what Jesus is doing by being here. God is here. He's uniting heaven and on earth in him. Jesus is the means through which the nations are blessed. We see that promise in Genesis, that all the nations, all the offspring will be blessed. Through who? Jesus. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This story is incredible. To see this encounter with Nathaniel and Jesus, 
and how Jesus meets each one of us where we are. But this story is also set very intentionally against John 1, verses 10 through 11. If, you, if you're open to the Gospel of John, flip back to verses 10 and 11, and I want to I show you this. Because what was the main idea of our passage this morning is that we all must each personally respond to the message of Jesus. We must all personally respond to the gospel. And here's how John opens up his letter, in verse, starting in verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's what you need to see very purposefully this morning with Jesus and Nathanael that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the one where God dwells in him. He is reuniting things on heaven and on earth. But you can't just hear the story and say, eh, not a big deal. Nah, I'll figure it out later. No, it, it elicits a response. And so here's how we should respond. You should first respond by knowing that God sees you. Just as Nathaniel was under the fig tree, if you were in this room this morning, here very clearly, God sees you. He knows you. He knows your innermost thoughts, the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, and the really dark ones as well. When you think about God seeing you, what do you see? Are you one that wrestles with God? Are you one that is far from God? Are you one that's angry from God? But here's what you, what you must know. You must come to grips with who you are in light of God. Augustine wrote this in his book, I guess you would call it Confessions in AD 400. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far away from your own self? He prayed, grant it, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. In other words, if you're wrestling with God, Why? If you're angry with God, why? If you're trying to figure out God, what are the questions that you have? What has happened to you in your life? And what is Christ's response to you? What was Nathaniel's response to the Messiah being here? Well, first, he was incredibly skeptical, but also he was fiercely judgmental. What good can come out of Nazareth? And even knowing that, isn't it interesting that Jesus would have seen that response in Nathaniel's heart? And still Jesus welcomes him to come and see and follow him. Change in our lives comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. That means to be brutally honest and vulnerable, to know that we are a sinner. The problem is that we often turn a deaf ear to our sins, either through denial of the sin or distortion of the sin to say it's not that big a deal or just disengagement. Just say it's just a part of me. It's just who I am. We strain out anything disturbing in our lives to feel as if we have some control. We are frightened and ashamed of what can leak into our consciousness. And so here are three temptations that we have this morning when we encounter Jesus. Temptation number one is that I am what I do or what I know. In other words, your performance. 
I am and what my ability is to perform, whether as a father or a worker or a wife or whatever it is, my ability to be accepted before God is in what I've done. That's temptation number one. And we can think about it in slide different ways. Like, I can put pressure on myself to perform as a pastor, but that's not my calling, just to perform. It's not to see my value in what I know or what I do. The second thing that we can do, the second temptation, is I am in what I have, my possessions. I have value or worth or acceptance in the world by what I've been able to accumulate or what I have. The third way is I am what others think in acceptance. Because of what I know, because of what I have, because of how I act or react or this personality that I carry, I'm accepted by a certain group or demographic of people. And you find your acceptance in a small cluster of people that give you validity or value in your life. But here's the invitation to come and see in Christ Jesus. And to come and see what the Lord has done in Psalm 66. First, it's not I am what I do or I know, is I am seen for what he has done. Not my performance, but Christ's performance. I am not what I have. I have what is his. The promise of the scriptures is that we are partakers in Christ's inheritance. That it's given to us freely. Well, actually, it's not freely. It costs Christ his life. But he gives it to us freely. And then I am not what others think. I am what the Father thinks of Christ. And what a wonderful, beautiful, hopeful promise that is in Christ Jesus. Come and see this today. That in Christ Jesus, if you come to him in repentance and faith and trust that he is good, you are not what you are or do. You are what Christ has done. You have what is his. And what the Father thinks of you is what he thinks of Christ. Consider it as Paul puts it again in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friend, come and see that God is good and all that he has for you in Christ Jesus.